Welcome to Soul Conversations, a podcast where two Korean adoptees unpack what it means to be Asian and adopted by discussing culture, race, history, and sharing adoptee stories. I'm Benny. And I'm Shanae. On this week's episode, we are diving deeper into the topic of race and how it relates to us as Korean adoptees. But before we begin this episode, we want to take a moment to acknowledge and address the devastating racist attacks and violence towards the Asian American and Pacific Islander community the past few weeks, but especially the horrific mass murder of the six Asian women that occurred in Atlanta last night. We are recording this episode on March 17, 2021, so it's fresh in our minds. Our hearts go out to all of the victims as well as their families. We are collectively grieving with the rest of the AAPI community. On this week's podcast, we'll be discussing what it has been like navigating the increase in anti-Asian violence as adoptees. We understand that as adoptees, our connections to and experiences regarding these attacks may not be the same as those who grew up directly within the AAPI community, and in no way are we trying to silence or speak for those individuals. However, we feel it is necessary, especially when talking about race, to speak to the nuance and complexity of processing the violence and supporting efforts to stop anti-Asian racism, specifically as Korean adoptees, since we still move through this world as Asian Americans. Yeah, and Shanae, usually before we start recording every week, we kind of discuss the script a little bit and make sure we're aligned with what we want to talk about. And uh, this week kind of felt different because... There was so much stuff that's been happening in the last week and this week especially, but it's been difficult to unpack and just wanted to see how we're feeling tonight. And, you know, we're going to record our normal stuff, but we do feel like we had to make a decision. You and I talked about, do we wait to talk about this later on? Because we have kind of a set schedule of things and you made a good point in saying that, you know, we're both kind of similar people. And the longer that we wait, it almost feels like we minimize things and that's not our intention. But I think we, you and I are very, I don't know what the word is, but it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult to process. But when we do, I think it comes off as maybe minimalizing that we don't want to do that. And I also think too, you brought up a good point in our pre-discussion that, Our first couple episodes have been very real, and I think that's our intention. And there's a lot of things that are fresh in our mind that we want to come off and speak from our heart and speak from our mind um, while it's still there uh, and still fresh and really be honest and have good conversation around that. We had some stuff to talk about today that we kind of scheduled in advance, and I hope that we can kind of relate to the current news. So let's kind of let's dive in right here. Question for you, Shanae. In one ways, if any, did your family talk about race growing up? Well, I kind of talked about it a little bit in last week's episode when I was sharing my adoption story. And the short answer is we didn't talk about race <laughs> growing up. Not in the way that I think would have been beneficial for everybody involved. You know, there were definitely comments about race that were made, whether they were by extended family members. Um, I remember one of my extended family members, and I think I had already mentioned this too, had made comments like, you know, you you aren't really Asian or you're more Hungarian. So there were things like that that were said, but nobody sat me down and had a conversation that said, you know, this is what it's going to be like to navigate the world as an Asian American female. Nobody did that. 
I don't know if anybody would have known how to do that, to be honest. So I don't know if it's better that it just didn't happen or if it would have been better if it happened, but poorly. I really have no idea. Um, But we really just didn't address it. I think we dealt with circumstances around race. You know, if I was called a racial slur or Mm -hmm. if I was having difficulty because of my race. But I think in those cases, we handled the situation and talked about the situation somehow without overtly talking about race. Yeah, same thing. And I hit the head on that too with episode two in my story. But it's been interesting because my conversations with my parents have become more robust and more meaningful because we've been opening up more, more specifically me. So more recently, I think we've talked about these topics of race and not just with the Asian community and Pacific Islander community, but I think last year was also a really challenging time for everyone, especially the Black and African-American community with the murder of George Floyd. And now it feels the events of this past week and the past year has also made it interesting to navigate. And I think on top of that, what for me personally makes it even more complex, and I don't want to minimize anyone else who has different experiences, is that there is a lot of me yet that identifies as a white human being. And there's a lot of me that also identifies as a Korean. And I don't know how to explain it. Maybe, Sinead, you can talk about that if you feel the same way. But there's there's this other layer of when people have experiences as a Korean, I can't relate to that because my experiences were the same thing as my other white friends and family. And I can't relate to my friends who are white either because I look much different. I have a very different background. I feel that very acutely. Personally, I also have been raised completely surrounded by white privilege. But I also feel like there's a, there's a separation, right, between your experiences at home and the experiences when you walk out your front door. I feel like in many ways, my experiences at home were very different than what people who, you know, grew up in Korean families or Asian families or rooted in the Asian community. I feel like my experiences were completely different, you know, because there was no, there was no Korean food. There was no, um, you know, celebrating Korean holidays or even acknowledgement of Korean history um, or any Asian history for that matter. So in those respects, in the four walls of my own home with my parents, I grew up eating not bibimbap. I I ate chicken paprikash, which is Hungarian or meatloaf, you know, or those kind Mm -hmm. of, and that's not to say that, you know, Korean Americans don't do that too, but there was just this noticeable absence of Koreanness in my house. But then when I would step outside into the outside world, then I feel like that's when I experienced more of the similar situations to other Koreans and Korean Americans, because that's when, you know, I would still get the discrimination or the microaggressions or the overt racism and Asian slurs or vandalism on cars or front doors as I got older or things like that. You know, that's the common experiences that I shared with the rest of kind of the Asian American community. And I feel like it was, it's really sad when I think about it, because if you boil it down and simplify it, 
the only connections that I've had up until recently when I really started deliberately digging in and trying to reconnect with, you know, my Korean roots, the only common experiences or shared experiences I've had with other Korean Americans have been ones of hate. Mm -hmm. Like they're the negative experiences. So yeah, definitely that feeling of in between and that kind of that feeling like you can't win. (laughs) And you're also super invisible in a race that's in a community that's already invisible in so many ways. Like it's a really lonely place to be a lot of times. Yeah, I would agree that it is a lonely place sometimes. And um, I have a lot of similarities of the things that you just said in my experience too. I think the best way that I can put it for me personally is not feeling like you have a home. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're constantly code switching back and forth to to be more approachable or relatable, that's tough for me because it took me so long to feel proud of who I am because I hated who I was for so many years. But then to have to code switch and say, literally before a conversation happens or you start a friendship or a romantic relationship, I feel like I'm giving up so much just to feel more relatable to someone else so they can, you know, we can have normal conversations. And it's tough because, you know, a lot of my friends and a lot of people that I had romantic relationships were were different races. They were white. And it's tough not to be able to have really genuine, authentic, true conversations with them because they will never know maybe potentially that I went through. But you also said too, you know, I, I don't think I would ever be able to relate to a Korean in different ways either, because, you know, the same thing. I didn't, I ate American food. I played American sports. I watched American cartoons. You know, I did the things that white Americans did. And I started to follow more social media accounts that were, you know, I searched for Korean things and I didn't get, I didn't get the posts. They were so foreign to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this post that like, I'm supposed to get about like, you know, how parents were you're Korean if your parents raised you like this or you did that and that. I'm like, what? I have no idea. This I was <laughs> I was raised in a I was raised in a very different things. It, it's just sometimes it's lonely and you never feel like you have the white culture to talk to and feel safe around, but you also can't relate to the Korean culture. I can absolutely understand that feeling of not feeling safe in the white community, but also sort of disconnected from the Korean community. And I think recently it's been especially hard, especially as a Korean adoptee and being in between because parents and friends, I know for me, haven't necessarily checked in. In fact, they haven't checked in, but I also don't always feel strongly connected to the Asian American community spaces either. Uh, I've been really thankful for the social media piece because it's provided more opportunities for me to connect with other Korean adoptees, the AAPI community, and really get what I think everybody needs right now, that solidarity, the checking in from people to say, hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing in the wake of all of this anti-Asian hate and especially in the wake of Tuesday's events? And it's been really nice to be able to get that from somewhere. But at the same time, it's been really hard and really hurtful to have so much silence from my parents and my white friends who I maybe am closer with or grew up with to have them not check in 
and to have me always need to initiate and say, hey, this just happened to the Asian American community. Here's how I feel about it. Sometimes it would be really nice if they would come and ask me, and that doesn't always happen. What's your experience been like in the last few months, and especially this past week, regarding being a Korean adoptee and having a white family, having a lot of white friends, just processing everything that's been going on? I've been trying to follow a lot more Korean Instagram channels and things on social media related to that. And I always I always struggle to express how I'm feeling even to myself when I'm thinking to myself, because I know that there are a lot of people out there that mean very well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they're navigating this too as well, of how to be an ally to the AAPI community and the Black community too. Um, most of my friends are white and Caucasian as well as my family. But it just feels, I don't even know what the word is, I'm not even going to describe it, other than the thoughts that you know, I see a lot of people posting, you know, support AAPI. And then their next story is something totally lifestyle related to them personally. And for me, that's a little bit difficult to grasp because you and I have to deal with that type of hate and that type of experience every day of our lives. We can't choose to say, I'm going to support this for one day or one week, and then I'm going to go back to my normal life. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to come off as I'm disappointed in my friends. I, I totally understand. I get it. There's so many things going on in this world today. And it's hard to be ingrained in every touch point of every wrongdoing that's happened to every person of color. And I, res- I respect that that's happening. Um, but I also wanted to share, too, that I am starting to understand and realize what's going on in the Black community a little bit. You know, our experiences are different than the Black community and the African-American community. But for me personally, I'm starting to realize now what it's feel to be the flavor of the day, if you will, and then go on with their normal lives. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to be an advocate and ally every single day of your life. But as, you know, Korean adoptees, it's something that we think about every day. I think to the emotional labor piece, we move through the world as Asians. We talked about that at the very beginning. Nobody asks us, are you an adoptee before they call us a racial slur? You know, nobody, nobody cares to them. We just look Asian because we are. And it's exhausting, I'm finding, because not only are we trying to grieve and deal with our own feelings, but it feels like we also are responsible for sounding the alarm and spreading the word to our white families and friends. And then we're additionally responsible for providing them with resources and answering their questions and sometimes in negative cases being asked to hold space for their own white fragility. And it's just, we don't, we have to do it all and all the time and simultaneously and I think that's why, for me personally, at least, having people check in and just say, how are you? Are you okay? Is so nice. Somebody somebody asked me that, almost a virtual stranger. She and I are just in a shared Facebook group. And she sent me a message saying, how are you? I'm thinking about you on Tuesday. She was the only one, the only white person in my circle. And I've never even met her in person who asked. And I just cried. 
because it was like such a burden lifted off my shoulders that just one piece was taken away and somebody had asked. I'll never forget the magnitude of that one phrase, you know, how are you and how much that meant. My experiences have been a little different and I've had actually more than I thought. People did reach out to me over the past few weeks and I'm so grateful and thankful for that, that people actually took a listen and people were authentically interested in hearing our stories, which really gave me hope that there are people out there that care. And hopefully this means that, you know, moving forward, people have that context to know that black and brown communities are going through this every day. But one thing that stood out to me, and I actually reminded of uh, a college friend and a family member who I won't name names, you know, say sentiments like, I don't even think of you as Korean or Asian. I had a friend who was doing a survey of how many people do you know that's different than you? And that person put down zero. And <laughs> he told me that. And I said, dude, do you realize that the person that you talk to every day and see every day is Korean? And he's like, I didn't even think about that. And I have a similar wow. story too that happened this past week um, saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize all these things were going on. We didn't think of you that way. We just thought you as part of the group. And all that comes from a good place because I know who the people are. I, I believe that is true. The problem and challenge with that is that people then assume, maybe not outright, but undertone that we experience the same benefits of that they do of being white. Or on the flip side, we don't experience certain things because white people don't experience those hardships. And I think that's where the, the invisibility comes from is while you mean well, there's things that you know, we don't experience that we don't have the privilege to, although I feel that I'm very privileged in a lot of ways. Even being a man on this on this conversation, I feel that I'm so privileged in a lot of ways that are so much different than your experiences, Shanae. But at the same time, too, we also experience things that they would not have known because they feel we don't go through those things because they don't. I think that's the hardest part, too, of being an ally, so to speak, every day to what's going on in the AAPI community is because sometimes I look at myself the same way, where I relate to more of the white culture and the white community. So I struggle. I don't even know how to articulate how to be an ally to the AAPI community because sometimes I don't feel like I'm a part of that. Mm. What, are your, what is your experiences on that? Yeah, I think I agree that it's frustrating because even though people mean well when they say things like, oh, I don't think of you as Asian, or I just think of you as my niece or my daughter or, you know, my best friend, that's great. But just because you're white and just because I grew up more or less in quote unquote your world and experience a lot of the same privileges as a result doesn't mean that I still don't experience racism. And I think that piece gets forgotten a lot. And I, I definitely sometimes struggle with, especially when people ask, how can I be a better ally right now? How can I stop Asian hate? What are action steps? And I, I can tell them the things that 
I've learned, but in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm also learning right along with them, which makes that question so hard to answer because I have been disconnected from that community as a result of my adoption and the way that my adoption happened to play out. I know there are some adoptees who are much more connected and who really genuinely authentically feel like they are a member of the Korean American community or the AAPI community through and through in all the ways, not just the negative ones. But that's just not my experience. So there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, I think, when people ask, how can I help? What can I do? And while I appreciate them asking, and I genuinely do want to give them answers, I do struggle with feeling like, oh my gosh, is my answer inauthentic because I'm sending them to an Asian activist or an Asian anti-racist educator which I think maybe people disagree, but I think is a good way to handle it because I don't have the answers. But I do put, I feel pressure. I feel like almost guilty that I don't know the answers and I don't know if that's right or that's wrong, but that's just how I felt. You know, I wonder as an Asian American, am I supposed to just organically know what to tell people and not need to point them to other Asian educators? I I totally feel you on that one too. I think one thing I'll just add to that is when we made this podcast, I think you and I agreed that we'll be truly speaking from the heart. We're not going to sugarcoat it, but at the same time, we want to have a positive outcome. And what I struggle with is when people hear this for the first time, what we're discussing right now, I don't want it to come off as we don't appreciate their friendship or those conversations or they have to walk on eggshells around Mm -hmm. me. Um, because I think that the, the challenging part for me, if I think about one step further, what the outcome would be is that 99% of my friends and family are white. And if we stop having those conversations or if people start feeling different around me, I won't have anyone to go to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer is. I think we as humans like to have an answer or have a roadmap to get there. I don't have any advice for any of my friends to come up and say, how can I be an ally or should I check in or should I not? Or should I go on with my daily life knowing that someone in my community is being hurt? Will that feel wrong? I don't have the answer for that. Um, And I think all of our responses, if you polled people similar to us, you might get 98 different answers out of 150. I wonder if us trying to assimilate as a kid played a role why our white families and friends maybe don't see us really as being Asian. In what ways did you try and assimilate growing up? Growing up, I definitely tried to assimilate in the respect of I tried really hard to be what I thought people thought I should be. I tried to not stick out. I tried to make sure that I simultaneously upheld Asian stereotypes and I was an overachiever. I made sure I had good grades. I made sure that I was, I stayed out of trouble. I did everything right, so to speak. I put a lot of pressure on myself to do everything the correct way. Um, I think A, so I didn't stick out. And B, because there, you know, is that hefty dose of adoptee guilt, (laughs) like don't make too many mistakes because, you know, your parents sacrificed a lot to get you and you need to make them proud. 
But I also think, too, the biggest way that I assimilated, because obviously, you know, I would try physically to assimilate, but that only got you so far, especially as, as a girl. It was, what, like the early 2000s that I was in middle school and, and cur- like that gelled, curly, like Hollister crunchy hair was really in style. <laughs> And, you know, I I could try to dump an entire bottle of gel from CVS on my head and, like, scrunch my hair to make it curly. But it just, like, wasn't happening, right? So there were those goofy ways of trying to assimilate, which, you know, obviously didn't seem goofy at the time. But I, I think I made fun of myself for being Asian and willingly accepted and adopted jokes about being Asian and perpetuated them as a way of trying to not only assimilate, but as a way to survive. So if other people originally started saying things like, oh, you're a fake Asian because you're good at English, but you suck at math, or, Mm -hmm. oh, you didn't see something because your eyes don't open. Other people started saying those things, but there was a time where it flipped and it was subconsciously, I recognize these are the things that people are going to say about me. And yes, they hurt. And yes, I think they're wrong. But it makes people laugh. It diffuses the situation. It allows me to not confront all of these ugly feelings that I have about my identity. So I'm going to beat them to the punch. So then I would start saying things like, oh, you know, such and such happened or didn't happen because I'm Asian. Or, oh, I don't know about Korean food, but I know about making pizza because I'm a banana. And I would be the one saying those things. So I think that was definitely the biggest way, and I think the most harmful way that I tried to assimilate. You know, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, I can think of so many different situations that are still fresh in my mind that happened decades ago because they stick with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of these stick with you too, you know, but I can definitely relate to two things that you pointed out. One is trying to stay hidden, stay low. Don't bring attention to yourself. And maybe that's partly because of point number two, that if you do stand out, someone's going to notice that you're Asian Mm -hmm. and they're going to say something or they're going to do something. And then what, you know, and I also did the same things to deflect that. I almost had to self-deprecate who I was just to be funny or diffuse the situation, get it over with as quick as possible, move on to the next thing that I need to deal with. And it's terrible. I can't believe we have we have to talk about this, but that's that that's the, the reality of the challenges of something that might, you know, happen if you are raising a community that does not look like you and very different. And so that's hurtful to me. And I'm glad that you shared some things that are unique to girls and women. Because that too, we'll talk about that in future episodes, but that too is another big thing where um, we have different experiences, but they're rooted in all the same thing as ignorance and hate. And we have all these other things too, like the model minority myth, gatekeeping and tokenism. I think those all come out too. And you know, I think what perpetuated that was the way that Asian Americans and Asians were portrayed in media. And there wasn't any other medium out there to say, no, this is what the Asian community is like. This is what the Korean community is like. And so I felt that's what, you know, that's what we were too. Like, oh, Asians are terrible at driving. They're usually the people that are working tech jobs and are the goofy people that don't get the girls. 
I heard from a friend in high school recently, and he apologized for sexually as comments that he had made along with some of his friends. And we had a conversation about how he didn't know that they were wrong at the time. And I, in some ways, sort of empathized with him because I knew how they made me feel, but I didn't necessarily know the origins of those comments or why they were so wrong because no one ever talked to me about it. And I also didn't have anyone to ask. I just sort of, those kinds of comments, internalized them. And I didn't learn the terms or the information that I needed as a teenager to navigate those kinds of situations until I was in my late 20s. So I'm curious if you also didn't learn some of those terms or maybe origins of certain Asian stereotypes until later in life. And if so, do you feel like you were negatively affected by not knowing them when you were growing up? I also have similar experiences where maybe up until five, seven years ago, I really didn't have the, that terminology or understand the origins of these comments and these feelings. And you asked, you know, if I would have reacted to those different if I knew them when I was younger. And I'll just go back to what I said in previous conversations that I wanted nothing to do with my Korean heritage. Uh, I just wanted to keep my head down, not talk about it, be a normal kid and move on to living my life. And even if I did know those terms, I don't know what I would have done with them. So for me, as an adult, in becoming more comfortable with my heritage and who I am, it's been refreshing to know that there are real tangible things that are happening and we're experiencing that we can, I don't want to say justify, but that are happening each day. I would agree. I think, I don't know if I would have handled situations differently as a kid, if I had that information, I mean, maybe I would have realized, and maybe this wouldn't have been a good thing, that maybe I would have realized just how much people made fun of me for being Asian or made insensitive comments. I think I was naive to a lot. And now looking back on certain things and certain comments, I realized like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was it was even worse than I thought it was when I was going through it. But I don't know if I would have said anything and now as an adult, having that information, it's not like knowing that it's a microaggression makes it hurt any less or makes it any better, but it is validating in a way to know that it is wrong and there's a reason you feel the way you do when someone says something offensive and that you're not just overly sensitive or making it up or making a mountain out of a molehill, but that no, it's, it's perfectly valid for you to feel the way that you feel. I, I do I do think to thinking back on the scenarios when I could have spoken up, how that person or that group of people responded, I don't think it would have been a circumstance where they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. I think that would have just aggravated those people even more. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, maybe not more as an adult. It maybe wouldn't express a little differently. But also to hold that knowledge as a child and trying to explain to another child or another teenager, it's something that you're just putting yourself in the spotlight to be an easier target, I feel. Mm-hmm. And I think what I get out of this too is that we're talking a lot about microaggressions and words and racist terms. For me, Shanae, I don't know if you had an experience with this, but as a, as a boy, I had to tell my mom this, which she didn't even realize is that there were not just words. Those actions 
came in the forms of physical harm. I remember going to parties as a high schooler and a college kid and hating going to different towns parties because they didn't know me like my friends did. And I say know me in quotes because, you know, but there were times where I would walk in and the person hosting would be like, who are you? I can blind you with a piece of flossing tape or I can blind you with a piece of floss. And then that escalating, as you can well guess, into physical altercation where people got seriously hurt or just walking to a gas station to try to find a friend's address. This is prior to Google and cell phones. So we had to literally look up yellow pages to find people's addresses. And I remember going to a gas station with my friend and some person walked out with his sister and punched me for no reason at all and called me a slur. And when you're in high school and college, you don't know how to react to that because I was equally as surprised that that person did that. And I shrugged it off, went to find an address, and he came back and attacked me and my friend again. And that's where me having a chip on my shoulder fought back. And I think the moral of the story here is we've seen that come to fruition in the last few weeks where words or sentiments are harmful in themselves. But to other people that think, you know, they're just words or, you know, this leader of the free world says this rhetoric, it doesn't mean that much. It only goes so far. That really turns into circumstances and instances where there's physical harm or people get killed. Mm -hmm. I definitely hear you. And I think that's especially what has made this past week so difficult as an Asian female and as someone who has also not intentionally, but I think just situationally only dated white men. I know that the things that people say, those words, those phrases about, you know, being more exotic because I'm Asian or being asked if my genitals are tighter or different because I'm Asian or being approached on the street by random white men and solicited for sexual favors or being followed home by, again, more white men who are saying vile things that have to do with me being Asian. The events on Tuesday really hit home because they were proof that those words are not just words. We want to make this podcast feel like a safe space. And this episode was particularly hard to record because of the recent incidents. And I think we always try to wrap this up and end on a positive note, words of encouragement or advice for other people who are going through and experiencing these same things or similar things. But I do want to talk a little bit about maybe the big picture a little bit. And what are the biggest takeaways that we had, especially in the last few weeks, and how that relates to our personal experiences? As hard as the last year has been, and particularly this past week, when I think about the bigger picture and think about, you know, is there any good that has come out of these horrible things that have been happening? I think about the fact that people are talking even though it takes a lot of work on the part of the Asian American community, and even though people have been fighting tirelessly, there are people who have been, you know, just nose to the grind and unrelenting as far as making sure that we as Asian Americans are being talked about in the news, 
that we are being centered, that we're being celebrated, that we're being acknowledged. I think that that's a positive because I think that it's a reckoning that's been a long time coming. And personally, I feel more connected now to the AAPI community than I ever have. I have been truly welcomed into a lot of Asian American spaces that I maybe had previously, because of my own insecurities, shied away from engaging with, or maybe that hadn't been so welcoming. That's been a good thing. It's It really lit a fire in me to keep up that connection and to keep exploring it. Um, and I've also really connected, I think, with other Korean adoptees on a different level, not to keep going back to social media, but just the amount of adoptees that I've talked to in the last week has been tenfold the amount of adoptees that I've ever spoken to in my entire life. And just having the chance to talk and to share experiences, some of us have exchanged phone numbers, so we'll text back and forth now, or we've formed little groups. There's a really great Facebook group that um, Dr. Kiona started called Invitation. But just to really see the sense of community that has come together and to, for the first time, really feel like I'm a part of it, that's been hands down the biggest silver lining to just one hell of a year. Mm-hmm. When I was telling my story, I think I forgot to mention part of the reason why I left Wisconsin was that I had never felt like I had a community there. As much I was as I was faking it and had good friendships, I still sought out a community that I could relate to on a deeper level. And I 100% agree with you. In the last few weeks, I finally am starting to be more open about making Korean friends and other Asian friends and finding other adoptees and hearing about those stories. And that's been really rewarding to me that people are listening out there and that there are other people out there that have same or similar stories and that we can build that community. And in the same vein, too, I've had family and friends who don't look like me get in touch with me. And I think the value that has come out of that, out of many different things, is a place of better understanding where hopefully they can be more cognizant and aware of daily things that people of color and other Korean adoptees like us go through and hopefully build better futures for our children and our communities. And I think that comes from a place of mutual respect. And I'm really glad to see that come through as well. We thank you so much for sticking with us through a lot of these different conversations. And we hope that someday we don't have to have these conversations, but for now, we're going to continue to be serious and authentic and hopefully in the next episode and after that, you can hear some other funny and lighthearted things, but we also aren't going to mince some of those dangerous things too that happen in those conversations as well. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to have you tune in next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.